Well done, you clever little thing, you. You found part two. You clearly enjoyed part one, and if you haven't listened to part one, what are you doing? You don't understand what's going on so far. Go back and listen to that first. Here's part two of Nick Moran. So, what about your current big, 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 exciting new thing, Phantom Peak? Phantom Peak, yes. I was just going to ask, for starters, uh, how'd you come up with the name? Because there's a, there's a lot of PPs in the escape rooms. Uh, there's there's Paradox Parlors. There's Jamie laughing at me because I said PP. There's Paradox Parlors. There's Puzzle Punks. I got a shout out to Time Trap, our own. We've got Professor Potch. So was that a conscious thing or did that just happen by coincidence? Uh, generally, I like things with X's in. So that like I like things with an X somewhere. So therefore, this was this was un- this was an unusual to venture into that early in you know part of the alphabet for me um <laughs> so then it so me and my business partner glenn we developed a lot of things over the years i've worked with him on everything including time run sherlock we built he's uh he's got a company called Tanner set scenery and they're kind of a set building company and they're amazing and we kind of do a lot of things together and it was just a name that we i think we came up with for something else and we were like we really like the idea of like making this place that kind of feels like somewhere that you want to go to and is a place full of kind of mysteries and, you know, got a good sense of humor and is a strange, strange, silly place full of fun things and fun characters where you can spend literally hours there exploring and, you know, experiencing stories, meeting characters, understanding what's going on. And then you really just feel like you scratch the surface. And that's exactly what we kind of tried to make with Phantom Peak. And uh, so we launched it in um, July 27th, uh, which feels like uh, one never-ending day which is called Yesterday Ago, has been the longest and most tiring several months of my life, um, which has also been very exciting, but I'm extremely tired. Well, you, um, you released Phantom Peak and then you went straight into also like a Halloween, um, is it Hallowed Peak? Is that right? That, oh, yeah. So you, yeah. Didn't, you didn't give yourself an easy job. You decided to pile it all on all at once. No, oh, yeah, I'm just we've launched Wintermas now. Was this also then sort of spanning on from when you were doing more like immersive theatre? Have you done anything by like Punch Drunk because they do like these immersive like experiences where you can like walk around the set and explore your? Own I place. actually went to I went to the Burnt City last night. Yeah, actually. oh, last night, nice. I went a couple of, a few months ago, I think, and I've done that one. And I think my partner's been to one before that. I think it was the Drunk Man or something like that. Drunk Man, Drunk Man, yeah, um, yeah. That sounded like it was um, explore the set story going on. So I, I haven't done Phantom Peak yet, but I am. I really want to because it sounds like a very similar experience. Well, it, it is and it isn't. So, fan, so in, a, in a punch drunk experience, you are quite literally masked. You are bound and gagged. You cannot speak. No act interaction for you. You may look, but you may not touch. And there's paper that you can read, but for God's sake, put it back. Um, uh, so punch drunk are amazing at what they do. They are absolutely, they are, punch drunk are fantastic at what they do. But what they do is immersive experientially, but not immersive in the sense of um, interaction. You're, you know, yeah, you, you sort of exist as a ghost in the world, don't you? Um, yes. Whereas it sounds like Phantom Peak is more you exist as part of the, the story. Yeah, you're a person. You're a tourist to this place, strange place called Phantom Peak. And you are on these things that we call trails, which are uh, sort of linear quests around town where you help people in the town, you uncover things about them and you do little things uh, to, you know, some big, some small, some matter, some don't. And each of them is kind of like a journey through the world, which kind of ends with a conclusion. For us, the Phantom Peak is a world full of stories and storytelling. And what it is, is about you scratch the surface and you kind of get more and more and more into it. That's yeah. how it kind of works. Um, whereas, you know, something more like Punch Junk is, is much more theatrical in many ways. You, yeah. are, um, you are an immersed audience member. 
um, existing within um, an incredible world, an incredible sets, incredible sets, you know, uh, you know, really um, like, uh, um, like masters of immersive set, you know, there's no one better than punch drunk at that. Um, and you are discovering um, what happens and seeing these repeated scenes that go on across the night. Whereas ours is much more like, you know, you will go on these trails, these like little stories around town and each one is a vertical slice of life across the town. Yeah. And the more you do, the more you understand. That's kind of how it works. And there are a certain amount within a season of Phantom Peak, it's kind of a seasonal model. And then the next season, the town has the town has time jumped to the next season. So for example, season one, there's a character called Pocket, who was the, you know, Jenico candidate for mayor. And then season in the Hallowed Peak, it's, it's that time between the election and results. And in Wintermus, uh, Pocket is now mayor. So those things, are, those, th- those things have oh, nice. you know, time jumped. So for people who haven't, haven't been before, it's uh it doesn't matter because pocket is a person who is mayor but for someone who has been a couple of times they're like oh great i saw where this person was and i saw where they came from yeah so it's kind of you know it's kind of creating a living breathing town that you when you step into that you want to spend time there and phantom peak lasts for five hours so you go in you go for five you go for a long ass time and you know the idea is is you know using the kind of tools of immersion one of the great tools of immersion is time you know, the longer you spend somewhere, the more you get to know it, the better and more comfortable you feel there. And it feels like a home away from home. And it is sort of an underrated tool that people don't have in their arsenal. And escape room people especially do not have to get in their arsenal because they've got to get another booking in 45 minutes. <laughs> we morons, get out of there. <laughs> um, yeah. So Phantom Peak is going to, it sounds like it's something that's then just going to continue. Um, You've set yourself far enough back that you can time jump forwards a good few times. And is it going to be like a continuous project? Well, yeah, Phantom Peak, you know, like Phantom Peak isn't set in our world. It's set in a complete alternate universe. So the rules are very, very different. So it's not like, it's not set a hundred years ago or anything like that. It's set in a completely alternate universe in a completely fictional place. So the kind of the rules are completely controlled by, by me about what happens and when it happens. And there is a grand plan of how it all works. Everything is, everything is already very, very worked out about where it has to be, you know, and it's a very, it's a very weird little town. I think people who have been will, um, will probably talk a little about platypuses. Platypuses is very important at Phantom Peak. Very, very important. I was going to ask, they come up a lot on the website. Why, why are platypuses so important? Because platypuses are great. They are awesome. I was, I was wondering if it was like Phineas and Ferb inspired ever so slightly. The platypus is just a local animal Phantom Peak, only native to the Phantom Ridge region. So it's just like, especially the bluebill platypus is, you know, very, very important to Phantom Peak for a variety of reasons. Um, and Jonas, who is the mysterious founder of Phantom Peak, uh, very elusive. No, no one's really met him or have he, is he real? Who knows? Um, and, uh, so, uh, he's particularly fond of the platypus. Doesn't really like people. Very fond of the platypus. So it's, a uh, it's all everything, you know, everything is all intertwined into one. So platypuses is kind of one of the key things in Phantom Peak, but it's not everything. I mean, there are lots of different things within Phantom Peak that kind of matter to the world, but it's all about, you might not know some of them if you haven't interacted with certain trails or certain stories or things like that. Yeah. So how would you say, uh, with Phantom Peak, how would you say the first, um, like the first run, the first few months of it have gone, has it gone better than you expected? Worse? Has it been about what you expected? Well, I, it's a big gamble when you don't have any money, which I don't, and you self-funded it, which we did, using lots of loans, which we have. Um, to You're selling uh, all that cloth, right? Yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ. There's, not, there's still, still some good amount of cloth in Phantom Peak. Um, <laughs> that's a good black surge. Great black surge. Oh, nice. Good. Dampens things down, covers an exit. <laughs> Oh, black surge! Cut it together. You can cut it, cut it with a scalpel. Get it up with with a with a good like industrial stapler in seconds. That 
that exit is now is now just a mysterious black cloth. Um, <laughs> that hole in the wall, that mysterious black cloth. Do people want to go into it? No, because they understand the rules of not going into the black surge. I mean, I am um, ultimately, uh, at my heart, I'm a very nervous person. I always think things, are, things aren't going to go very well. And I'm quite an anxious person. So for me, you know, I always think things, you know, things aren't going to go very well. But uh, and I was more worried from a sales point of view, which which went fine. They, they've it's done, it's done, it's done well. A lot of people come through, and it was just very exciting. And people seem to really enjoy. It. People come back a lot as well, which is even more exciting. Nice. Um, and uh, you know, it, because it's impossible to complete all the trails in one sitting, you know, people come two, three times to make sure they get all the stories of one season. But for me, it was always like a bit of a gamble being like, right, I think, I think I can solve the open world storytelling problem that secret cinema has and people like that, where people get lost. I think I can do that with the right kind of structural thinking of it. So it's a bit of a gamble of how it worked, uh, but it does seem to have paid off and people seem to have really enjoyed it. Um, and people were coming back and we just launched Wintermas tickets and that's going quite well. So I think ultimately, you know, the model works, people are enjoying the experience and, you know, the model is the experience, right? Structure is content as the fundamental rule of everything is. An escape room is a timed experience within a set where you solve, have obstacles in front of you to go, you know, to go between. Just like Phantom Peak is a world where you get navigated through it by a structure and do meet characters and interact with objects, interact with technology along the way to piece together a narrative which you can consume. So, you know, everything is about the structure and the structure of that experience does work, does work really fundamentally well and people seem to really enjoy it. Nice. So how different an experience for you was it designing this after something like Sherlock? Was there a lot that you were able to like pour over from what you'd learned from Sherlock or was it a completely different ball field? Nothing. There's no, there's no learning. There's no overlapping learnings. Zero. Um, which is wonderful. Great. But all the, what a waste of years. Um, um, there is and there isn't, you know, I think I'm sure, um, Andrew and the time trap team, you know, probably can in their sleep design a perfectly good escape room. You know, you know, you choose it, you choose a theme that works. You start to string together some things, you create the obstacles. It makes sense. But Phantom Peak is, um, fundamentally about, um, creating satisfaction without necessarily the tools of puzzles, which are great. You know, you can create a lovely object that people interact with and it kind of gets around the fact that who knows why the dragon has laid an egg full of Sudoku. Um, uh, <laughs> but it's a lovely egg and great Sudoku inside. Look at those pieces. Um, and you can get around with a lot, a lot of those things. You can, you can do shortcuts and the audience forgives it because their awards are fundamentally interaction and puzzles. And Fantasy Peak has to be about story and therefore yeah. it has to be a lot more about like a, like a bit more like a writer's room getting the best stories, getting the best reveals, making great content, making like great videos, things that matter for Phantom Peaks. It's a very different process, how things are structured and sewn together. I mean, it's not to say that it's all, I was being uh, flippant that it was all useless. They're always the same tools of how you interrogate a structure and how you make a, uh, an experience and the building blocks work and make sense. But they're applied in such an alien way that um, it felt a bit like starting from scratch. But the sounds of it, do you think that's a good thing? Uh, it's more fun, you yeah. know. Not that I perfected designing escape rooms or anything like that. No one has, you know, and there are still better and better escape rooms being made across Europe and across the world every day. But I felt, from my point of view, that I'd kind of... Well, I just didn't... I didn't know what more I wanted to do within the space, particularly. Yeah. I don't know where to go with, with the escape room stuff without more money because that's the thing is it's like and there's only so much you can spend in an escape room just from a recruitment point of view yeah you know you can only get x many people through an hour there's just not a way to make 
better and better experiences and make better and better tech unless you're like like um eric from the dome who's insane madman genius and wants to build like a the most beautiful mad boondoggle project in the world so who knows anyway, <laughs> who knows if he'll ever get that money back it doesn't matter to him he's happy to invest like genuinely hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and hundreds of thousands of pounds into a game because he just wants to make the best game possible and he can you know so unless i become sort of mad millionaire or unless any mad millionaires listen to the podcast <laughs> uh hit me up you never know yeah please mad millionaires give me your money um <laughs> but again that, that just becomes the ceiling structurally of what i think that i want to do you know i really want to build an escape room underwater i don't think i can do that without millions of pounds <laughs> yeah you know like things like that where like they're the things that start to do me it's like different different types of build challenges and stuff like that and also because london is such a difficult place to have a venue it's such a dep- depressing environment to have a venue because it's so hard to build anything there and the, and there's the venues are so expensive. It always slightly annoys me how people are like, oh my God, escape rooms in London are like six pounds more expensive than the rest of the country. Guys, it's like 6,000% more expensive than the rent. They should pass that over to you. They're not going to, <laughs> but they should. It, to me, it seems like too, too daunting to build an escape room um, that will do the things I want to do right now and also yeah. too difficult. And uh, I also don't think it's necessarily the right thing for the industry, you know, to, 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 to do those kind of keep on building bigger and bigger sets. So for me, it was like, how do I change the game and make something which is a different type of experience that is something more and more, ex- you know, more exciting for me to do. I've never done before. So no one's ever really tried before. And that for me was like for me and Glenn, his partner was, was Phantom Peak. Okay, so do you think that's the way the industry is going to kind of keep going and keep, like, evolve? Because the industry's evolved really quickly, especially in England. Recently, we had no escape rooms, then a few kind of rubbish ones, and now we've got loads, still some rubbish ones, but loads of really good ones, and now we're branching into, like, big open-world things. So do you think it's just going to keep growing and there'll be no place for sort of normal escape rooms anymore? I I, I think the industry is becoming difficult to enter. And I think that is a problem because let's say eight years ago, you could start off and run an average escape room company. You could have a 20,000 pound build. That would still be very, very high for them. Um, let's say you could have 10,000 pound build. You could do some furniture, you get your mates in to do some painting. You could do a bit of scenic stuff and people would love it. It would be booked out all the time and you'd be able to build a business on that and you'd be able to learn as you go how to make great sets, great tech, all that kind of stuff. Now you need to start with some money. You need to you need to start off with some cash from friends or family, and because the because the bar is quite high, and, yeah. and that's and that is um, I think the the industry problem is that now only those who are the kind of haves can really afford to innovate, and that is for me the where the industry are going, which is it will kind of have like a you'll have a two tier industry a little bit. You'll have those you know those great games at the top that are doing really well, that have always made great games, great sets and great experiences, and have like a lot of thought behind the design of them. And they'll keep growing, keep doing better, keep making amazing escape rooms, keep expanding to other venues across the country. I have a big gap. The mid-market will be killed. Um, and then you have those kind of, you know, local firm mom and pop escape rooms that do all right, that are lifestyle businesses. And so I think that's that sort of the way the industry is going. I don't think I don't think open world stuff is is the is the future. It's just a a form of entertainment. And I don't think it's necessarily the evolution of escape rooms. It's just the the general thing that happens is that a structural innovation appears to occur and some people some people build on it and take it to its inevitable end conclusion. Some people reject it and rebel against it and try to do things that are different within that structure. And some people uh, sort of uh, take the, what they can from it and apply it to something else completely and make something which doesn't look at all like it, but has, has sort of the learnings from. 
And I think that's sort of where we're going right now with that kind of three-pronged attack. But yeah, I think um, I, I, I don't worry for the industry because the industry is very strong and has a lot of great great games in it in the UK, in, the UK, in Europe. Um, but it is a shame that eight years ago, a couple of exciting, young, plucky people could be like, you know what? There's an empty building in my hometown. I could start an escape room. I'm a clever person. I can work out this tech. And they could build a really great business from it. Um, and that's a bit of a shame that that's not possible anymore. But uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's possible. But I, I can't. I can't. I can't see it happening with the the, the quality that people expect. And also, uh, the quality that people expect versus the price they're willing to pay has not gone exponentially upwards. Yes, which is frustrating from my point of view. <laughs> um, not, not for me. Like I don't make escape rooms really at the moment. I'm sure I probably will again at some point. But as a as a player, I'll be happily pay fifty quid for an escape room if it's great. But again, there's this perceived value thing because this room started off and it was like 20 quid a game, you know, but now you could pay 20 quid, 20, you know, four quid, 25 quid for a game, which costs 600 grand to build or something incredible like that. You know, look at all the games at Tully's um, just outside of London. Those games cost a fortune to build. The sets are amazing. Tully's are actually, you know, are super pro at building games. And I think that's one of the things that worries me is that the enthusiast uh, market ex- market uh, realization hasn't crept up with the quality of build. And we have to accept that, you know, it's like with video games. You have to accept that if you want a multi-million pound video game, you're going to have to spend 70 quid on it. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just the way it works. Do you want GTA 6, which took 6,000 years to build? Sorry, we're gonna have to. You're gonna have to spend the money on because Rockstar got to make their cash back. Yeah, and we've got we've got to learn to do the same. It sounds quite like at the moment you feel like yeah, at least to get into the industry, money is going to be one of your biggest challenges. You have obviously secured funding for some of your projects before. How did you achieve that? Were you approached? Did you approach? How did you how did you tackle it? So uh, I've been asked this question before, and I can give you a really straight answer, which is a series of astonishing coincidences and no scale. <laughs> I have no idea how to get funding or money. <laughs> I have no idea. I just ha- happen to work with someone who happened to know somebody. My, adva- my, uh, my advice is to work with somebody who happened to know somebody who happened to know somebody. Because that's, my, <laughs> that, that's 100% of all my successful pieces of investment so far. So Because it's only one. Uh, so <laughs> and 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 that after that project i didn't really want to do much with investment anymore because i'd already i'd already done it so for me it yeah. wasn't you know like other, other people kind of come like they started doing something bootstrapped and then they're like let's try something with investment and i kind of done the other way around i started something with investment do you want to do more stuff with this bootstrapped so yeah i mean the thing is is there's money out there there is money out there there's lots of money out there but the, you pay a price whenever you take money and that's the, that's the truth of it uh the price could be high the price can be low the price can be fair the price can be unfair and you have to, unfortunately, once you take money, you know, this is not from necessarily my experience, um, but this is from um, other people's experiences and friends. Once you have a company with somebody and they're an investor, that's it, pretty much. Unless they're bought out, you are on that journey with them. You are married. And if that's your company, that's your lifestyle, that's your thing. My advice to people on taking advice is go into eyes open. If you can afford not to take money, don't take money. Um, if you need to take money, understand that the understand when you take money you're going to take money when you when you begin a project you have you are weak you you know to start a project you are very weak they will take a lot of your company they will take a lot from you um if you can do it after you're open you're much more powerful because again you've got a product and they're buying into a product 
Um, so, but this is, this is just generally from experience of people I've known. Um, and you know, some have done things successfully and had amazing businesses that got bought out for millions. Some are people, uh, who, who don't give me any money despite having lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of people are they? Monsters. Um, I'm not a rich person. Can I, can I have money? They say to them and they don't, they just don't. Is this actually your hidden secret to getting money? Just go on podcasts and just, if anyone's out there just wants if, to give me some if, money. If you are wealthy, find me. <laughs> I'd give you money. Of subliminal messaging. Yeah, yeah, liminal messaging. It, it, it's not a hard man to find. Well, it's super liminal. It's the meaning is yeah. flying over the podcast straight into people's uh, verbal ear holes. Um, so um, yeah, it, no, it, it's it, it, like money. M- like money matters, uh, unfortunately, with investment. And, and that's the thing is, you've got to be, you've got to be going. You got to know what you want to do. And, and a lot of people who are investors want like to get out one day and want to sell the company on. And do you want to do that? Is that what you want? Do you want this to be your baby and you grow it and you make a brand? You know, do you want to like leave it to your kids? What, what, what is, I think you've got, you've got to know what you want from it. And that's a hard thing to do. And it's hard because, you know, I don't know what I want for breakfast tomorrow, let alone what I want in 20 years time. So yeah, it's difficult, difficult thing. Money is hard. Investors are harder. You should have that on your headstone when your time comes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think you're going to see a t-shirt. Just or go that grim. a t-shirt also. <laughs> I wanted to ask you one real quick thing about, about Phantom Peak. Because there's so much to do. And if you can go in for five hours and barely scratch the surface, to any visitors that are going for the first time, what is one thing they shouldn't miss? Just No matter how small it is, what is like one attraction, one stall, one shop, one something that they should definitely make sure is on their itinerary the main thing is embrace it throw yourself into it like the 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 more trails you do the better the experience gets because each trail is a little vertical slice of life a little bit like a uh you know like in um one of those tv shows where there's lots of different episodes set in the town but then then they kind of overlap slightly so um it's it's uh anthology series yeah it's like an like an anthology series okay like, okay know. i love that so yeah so you know each one they're they're not necessarily connected but they're overlap and you'll be like right okay i know that uh i met this person this this in this trail so now and i've met this person again now so i understand a little bit about them so the more you do the more you understand what's going on so my advice for anyone to come to fan speak arrive on time um uh, no, well, not that's for anywhere <laughs> uh no you know because people people can think it's five hours they can like breathe you know it, it doesn't really matter and that's also true it doesn't matter but if you want to get the most of it arrive on time um you know um uh, just throw yourself into the trails meet as many people as possible ask questions um the actors are brilliant um you know make sure that you don't you take every opportunity to immerse yourself the more you give to the world the more the world gives back and that's like the fundamental rule of phantom peak don't uh don't be afraid to to like work for the information and the experience that you get because the the experience you know requires input to get stuff out it's not it's not punishment you can't just walk around um, not the not just is probably a bit unfair there as a modifier. You can't walk around and expect to get stuff from them. From you, you have to go and do stuff. You have to explore. You have to find out what's going on. You have to do the trails. You have to get under the hood of what Phantom Peak is because then you become, you know, uh, like for Halloween, we had you know some people 
dress up as some of the characters, you know, some of the characters from the show, you know, and things like that for the Halloween costume competition and stuff like that within the world. And, you know, once you start scratching the surface and getting involved, you know, and everyone was, all the residents were so excited. And again, because they got involved and they made great costumes of uh, Platman, obviously, uh, (laughs) uh, who is the superhero of Phantom Peak, and uh, Phantom Peak's uh, uh, own uh, legally distinct version of the Riddler, the Questioner. Who just asks lots of questions? He doesn't. He doesn't ask riddles. He just poses really bad questions. <laughs> he just poses really annoying, open-ended questions. You're like, "What is it? Is the question questioner?" And that is the question. Um, so you know, and they came as those people, and of course, they won the costume competition. But they throw themselves into the world. They knew about the trail. They knew about everything about the trails. They kept all the notes and all the things because everything builds up season to season. Things make more sense. Things build up. So the more you get involved, the more you, the more you you know uh get involved with the world the better things get so just throw yourself into it have fun yes i'm, I'm gonna go just for plat man i just <laughs> that's gonna be something i dream about tonight well he is the body of a man but the sexual prowess of a platypus so it really yeah. is the do perfect they, individual do they have a great sexual prowess i don't think they were famous they do they do okay. yeah, they're, very, they're very sexy that was a really quick answer nick i'm not gonna yeah. ask that, you know <laughs> i live in a world where platypuses are sped more than anywhere else outside of australia is so, it platypuses or is it platypi? I, I, it is platypuses. Oh, okay. Good to know. I, that was my main thing I wanted to take away from today. We're going to now transition into the debrief. Um, but thank you so much for all the words of wisdom that you've shared with us. It's been an experience learning from you. I guess we're going to just kind of wind down now um, with a few slightly easier, less hard-hitting questions. Um, which my first one um, is going to be... Um, if you could go back and speak to yourself um, when you first started out in the escape room industry, would you give yourself any advice? And if so, what would it be? Those in many ways feel like my best and most fun days. You know, like looking back, like it was, I was, I just started out. I'd made a product that people seem to really enjoy. I was very young. I did, you know, I had no clue what I was doing, but I'd managed to do something quite good <laughs> by, by seemingly, seemingly accident. So I think, I think, I I think the thing I, I wouldn't want to give myself advice because that would have changed the experience of being young and having, being carefree, you know, and I, and, and thinking that, you know, all of this is kind of that, like that kind of golden moment of just launching something and having fun. It's going to last forever. Um, so I think ultimately I would just say, keep going and you're doing a good job. Was I? Probably not. But that would have been, you know, it, it, it the positive been, reinforcement is there. But it, it, yeah, it, but it, you know, because it's the mistakes you make along the way that give you give you the learnings and grow your character. For example, that second time run game I made is the most controversial thing I've ever done in my life. I received like weird death threats for it, which is oh. super super weird. I, got, I get death. I've got death threats for other projects as well, but it's, it's fine. <laughs> I'm quite used to it now. Um, Ben Cumberbatch sending them through. <laughs> Do you keep pestering millionaires for money? Is that why? I've never pestered a millionaire for money. <laughs> but if any are around, <laughs> I'm just, le- just quite close to the microphone. Um, uh, but you know, it, it, it's. I think. I think I would. I wouldn't give myself young or advice because I think it's the journey that makes things matter and makes you learn stuff. And I wouldn't want to have changed that that trajectory in any kind of way the trajectory has been fine i'm alive i'm doing things i like am i really tired yes uh, would my advice have been like get richer friends maybe <laughs> so that things could be a bit easier 
<laughs> and I'd, I could be in less debt but yeah that, that would be it <laughs> it almost sounds like i was gonna my next question was gonna be what advice would you give someone that like wanted to enter the industry but it sounds like it's gonna be along the lines of throw yourself in have fun i would say do the modeling start off with a spreadsheet the industry is weird at the moment some people are doing really well some people aren't doing very well just do the modeling know know what is working in your area know what you can spend know when you get your money back just like do that before you do the creative stuff um, and because then you know how much you can spend and, know what you, and that would define your creative a little bit yeah. um, I, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom I'm just like I just the world is still so unsettled post-covid and uh, post the uh, the greatest of calamity journeys which is Brexit um, <laughs> so uh, you know it's it's been you know a difficult and confusing time for the industry and there's a lot of staffing shortage and stuff like that no, yeah. like do do some research do some working do some modeling know know what know what you can do know what you can take on know what you can make work make a game which will work for you but make a game with the, the the work done study games study design stand on the shoulders of giants again you know just make it so it's it's easy for you to make the best experience possible test it as much as you can I never test things enough because I never have the resource or time to do it and it's the thing I'd love to ever have the resource to do just just make sure you do the work to make to get things done just keep going but do the modeling do the modeling so lots of very useful advice there yeah. that sounds like that's yeah nice um so this is a question that i've really wanted to ask you i know that you've obviously worked with ip before so you can sort of skip over this bit if you want to however your dream game if you could uh, but we, we could brush this out to experience as well um your dream game slash experience if you had a limited budget and no IP problems at all. You could just pick an IP. What would what would you go for? I really want to make a game underwater. I touched that earlier on, but that for me is just uh, it'd be really fun. And I really I like water. I like playing. Like water is a, as a water is a very exciting product to play with, and kind of people get very excited by it. Um, yeah. But I think probably the more because generally to kind of flip it onto the, the first half of the question, which is more IP. Um, I would be very interested in making a uh, star trek game but only because i really like to make the kobayashi maru test in star trek which is the no win scenario which i think would be a very interesting game to make which is a game about constant failure i think it'd be interesting from a from a structural point of view where you know you can only lose you can only lose the kobayashi maru test um which if you don't uh, know star trek or star trek to the wrath of khan um uh, which had a very bad remake starring Benedict Cumberbatch. Amazing how much uh, everything <laughs> smashed it. He did this uh, and he take it away. Yeah, yeah, but he was so muscular and it was really unsettling. Um, <laughs> and it was a bit where he was blasted from a ship in a torpedo, which was very confusing. Um, but the uh, the uh, original Star Trek: Wrath of, Wrath of Khan, um, Star Trek Two, is 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 you know good good science fiction movie and a, and a very good kind of. Uh, has the Kobayashi Maru test in it, but it is like a, it's a training facility for um, people in Starfleet uh, and it's a no-win scenario and it's meant to see your character and how what the decisions you make. And yep. I think that's a, that's, a, a, that's a fun structural test for people where you build a game where actually it's about repetition and failure. And I think that'd be a really interesting things to do, thing to do work with on an IP that I don't have many particular things uh, or many particular passions, I uh, intellectual property-wise. Um uh yes actually i do have one this is what i okay. really like to do and i would do it i'd make a scooby-doo experience a big big one big big scooby-doo experience um that's one thing i'd do i wouldn't make a scooby-doo escape room no, not not big enough where where's the where is the big hall with all the doors that you can like you're running <laughs> oh. exactly if you, you could like, make that real 
Yeah, that I, yeah, it's not hard. Just loads of doors in a corridor. It doesn't require much imagination. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to go in one door and then come out a non-communicating you, that's, door. You could definitely do that. That's not hard. You oh. just have to be really clever. Yes, I've thought. I've, I've thought about this. This is something I've thought about. But uh, I would like to make a Scooby Doo experience. That'd be really awesome. Um, that so, would be great. Um, but that'd be something I'd really like to do. Do you get be... to rip the mask off the bad guy at the end? You have to, right? <laughs> but it's accidentally, it's, just the, it's the GM and it's just their face. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think that, that that for me, where, you know, again, you know, talking about desire of collusion about the, char- the characters know what they have to do. Everyone knows how Scooby Doo mystery works. Everyone's got it's in the it's in our cultural sort of DNA. And everyone will be like, I, and, and, and you'll be like, look, each one of you has to be part of the mystery. You have to be all the you know the mystery gang. So you've got to decide who's Fred, who's Daphne, who's Velma. You have to dress up. You know, you can make it a real fun experience. But that's something I'd like to I'd like to make, and I think would be really really success, successfully. But for me, um, you know, you're not. I mean, as I've, I think I've said before, you know, like you want to make a Mad Max experience, you know, or whatever it is, you're not gonna, you're not gonna sit down with George Miller and make Mad Max. So, you know, a lot of those conventional IPs that you're not gonna, you're not gonna, gonna get, get access to. Uh, and if you let's, you know, and if you wanted to make a really great IP, you know, you know, you, you might be more likely getting like Babe Two Pig in the City, which is an amazing movie. Um, <laughs> also made by George Miller, who made Mad Max. So, you know, you can get, you can get, you can get George in the same room Mad Max, you've got to build some Fury Road stuff, but you could be like, George, I'll make, a, I'll make a city with like loads of quaint French architecture and some like weird canals and uh, put a pig on a wall. And he'd be like, cool, that's done. But, and that's exactly what you can do with Scooby-Doo. You can use lots of simple tricks to make it really good. And I wouldn't necessarily want to do something that has to require two big sets that people get immersed. It's, you know, Baby 2 Pig in the City is also the one, but I wouldn't do it too much. I, too much pressure. I was, was going to say, I... Andrew, a few weeks ago, predicted that you would bring up Babe Two Pig in the City in this podcast, and you have finally done it. And I'm Babe, Two Pig in the City, <laughs> Babe Two Pig in the City is a very important. It's a it's a it's a, it's a, it's a cultural totem, um, <laughs> and infinitely superior to Babe One. Yet, in no point in either Babe One or Babe Two does it mention Ace, the, uh, the uh, who is Babe's cousin, who in the other book by Dick King Smith, Sir Dick King Smith, was the amazing pig that could count. You see, missed opportunity. You can get George Miller, you get him in the same room and be like, look, George, basically in the city, you think you've explored the pig universe as much as you can. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, where are you, he's like, where are you going with this? And I'm like, you're like, George, wait. George, just stop. Pigs. And he's like, yeah, I'm on it. I've already, I've already done it twice. <laughs> he's like, he's like looking, he's looking at Mad Max, the, you know, the, the, the Furiosa script, you know, getting, getting, getting ready for shooting. And you're like, no, pigs and numbers. Ace. I am sensing That's summer right. 2023. Babe three, there is a counting pig played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Ah, uh, you, you will be credited as a producer on this. Ace is quite Ace is quite big, if I remember. Ace is a bit of a chonker as a technical term. So, uh, so I just don't think Benedict really has the, the physical gravitas to, to play it off uh, to play he, Ace. But he played a massive dragon fairly recently. I think, but it, he it had, had, a had a very slender neck. It oh. was real. It had very it had, it had very slim man energy. Benedict Cumberbatch could do Scooby Doo. Right. <laughs> no, he couldn't. I disagree with you Scooby, that Scooby, wholeheartedly. Scooby Doo does have a fat neck, but he's got slender legs. <laughs> you, so you obviously you're a dog. You're a dog person yourself. You've got a little. You've got a Shiba Inu. I do. I do have a Shiba Inu, not a Shiba Inu. But yep, that's uh, it's all right. It's fine. We can edit that. I can. I can not sound like an idiot. <laughs> Should we have, do I have another go at that? <laughs> uh, you, you have a. You have a. You have one of those Japanese dogs. <laughs> I do Shiba Inu. In fact. Oh wow! What's uh, the name? Uh, El- Eleanor. Eleanor. 
Yeah, like she's got an old lady name. That's a very yes. human name. You must look, get some looks in the dog park when you've got to call her back. Uh, well, she's a Shiba Inu, so there's no real point in the whole recall thing. Uh, it's just like not really worth doing. With, with a Shiba Inu, you're always bargaining. They're like little accountants in the body of a dog. <laughs> you know, they've got they've got their own agenda, and they're gonna they're, and they've got things that they think are a priority. And sometimes they look over you with basically like horn rimmed glasses, being like, <laughs> "Really, really now." just before tax season that's that kind of <laughs> it's that kind of definite like she's definitely a, like she's a middle-aged lady and she's got real like she's got real middle-aged lady energy as a middle-aged man i can i can i can definitely say that real middle-aged energy sometimes her and i go out together she looks at me like this is an awful day and i'm like i know <laughs> does she uh, does she cameo in any of your creations like is there an old lady character in phantom peak called eleanor anywhere I think I put a picture of her in um, the second time run game. Um, okay, but, um, but I think that was it. I don't generally do that do that kind of thing, but not out of any uh, like resentment against it or like willing not to. I just don't think of it at the time. And then people are like you should put your dog in. Yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, there are dogs in the game. It's not mine. I just, I just <laughs> don't think about it. You can't put her in Phantom Peak because she would just rip up the platypuses, surely. Uh, we know we don't have live platypuses. We oh. think of it, we think maybe they're made of cloth, which is why she would tear them. <laughs> I respect it. That was a, that's a good guess. <laughs> I, I was hoping for a live platypus, but... Yeah, that would be illegal. <laughs> so, um, to begin to wrap up, um, do you have any projects that are coming up that you wish for people to know about? If you can give Babe us any three. spoilers, maybe it, this is not Babe 3 and not Scooby-Doo, sorry. Um, anything else? I am full on Phantom Peak. It is massive. It needs a lot of attention. So, so um, nothing just, else yet. Nothing else yet. And, and the idea of doing another pro- doing another project fills me with existential dread. I could not, <laughs> I could barely do this at the, at, you know, at the time. To do two things, I would be dead. I would be literally a ghost haunting you both. These terrifying blobs. I can't identify that you live somewhere in the country. That's the information <laughs> I have as a ghost. It's going to take me weeks, months to find you, especially since I've been moving at a ghost pace, which I'm assuming is a walking pace. But I don't know much about it, so no more projects, and I'm not a ghost expert. Are you going to haunt us and just ask us for money every now and then? I wouldn't ask you for money because uh, you already would have mentioned it. Uh, if, because I've been pretty clear that <laughs> because I'm you're very clearly not millionaires. I'm, I'm very... Look, I just... Uh, I, I was going to say, do millionaires do podcasts? I guess Joe Rogan does, doesn't he? He does a podcast. And he's oh, true, yeah. God, yeah, he does, but he shouldn't. All right, final thing, Nick. It's the 21st century, so you've got to plug those socials. Where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can find me um, uh, at Moran Fox on Twitter. Uh, I don't really use it very much, but and it's a, a hellhole owned by the richest man in the world. So I would not advise you go there either. Um, and Amen. don't worry, he's really going to take the brakes off, really free that speech because it's just so much <laughs> he's got he's got plans, eight dollars a month plans. At least um, you have easy access to asking for money, though. Yeah, I think that to take Elon Elon Musk's money <laughs> is somewhere I would advise no one goes. Uh, um, no matter how desperate, it, it, if it was that or death, I know which I would choose. Um, 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 uh, if you want to go learn more about Phantom Peak, uh, probably Instagram is the best place for Phantom Peak at Phantom Peak nice. UK. I don't really understand Instagram, um, but other people do, and they know what's going on there. Um, I don't have an Instagram, so it's all a mystery to me. Um, 
Uh, and if you want, it's at Fantapit UK and all the socials. Not Pinterest, because that's not a social media platform. That's a place to pin nice pictures of rugs. Um, uh, but uh, it's, very, it's very nice if you do like rugs. But Of course, I, you'd know where to find nice cloth, wouldn't you? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Good call back. The joke is complete. The circle is complete. The comedy has, the comedy has occurred. Well, thank you. I bow. <laughs> we have had a joke, Jen, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> um uh yeah uh, uh but yeah fa- at Moran fox uh you like you can also find me on uh nowhere else really um so nick of phantom if you want to email me if you've got any questions i do try to get through to try, try to reply to everyone um in the end um but i am slow in email uh, the best places generally like twitter i will we'll get back to you so dm me if you've got personal questions about things you know i know some people that Always like, you know, there's a lot of people with various levels of comfort who don't really understand how Phantom Peak works. And they always ask me questions about like how it works, what's going to happen. So if you have any questions about that stuff, please, I'm always happy to ask. You know, I'm a nervous person myself. So I understand that if you've got questions or you're worried, believe me, I'm always worried. It's like, it's like, it's like the Hulk, but really stressful. <laughs> <laughs> how do you cope being worried? I'm always worried. <laughs> And you turn sh- a shade of blue. What color shade do you change for stress? Oh, I, just, I, I just shrink slowly into myself <laughs> and become like a walnut of a man. <laughs> Nick, thank you so much for joining us, listeners. Thank you so much for listening. We are on Instagram at Psychedelic Pod, so look us up on there. Leave us a review and join us next time. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.